feel like Gordon Bombay would have taken his career to even further heights. Everything's flashy, everything's cocaine, everything's fun. Open wide for some soccer. I don't care what you think about, what your personal thoughts are at home. I care that you hate the Cowboys. Welcome everybody to the Sports Experience Podcast. I'm Chris, this is Dom, just a couple of comics out here talking sports. Please give all of our social medias, follows, likes, all of the stuff that you hear, uh, Instagram, YouTube. And uh, we're always recording right here, Angle Studio in Tucson. If you have any recording needs in Tucson, we're in the midst of a block. Yes, What's we are. What's the block? We're doing brothers in baseball. Brothers. Brothers. It's like stepbrothers. Someone's playing Moby Dick for real. Did we just become best friends? John Stamos. <laughs> Good housekeeping. Uh, we just got done with Ramon Martinez, Chris. And that means Fantastic only one picture. thing. We're going to be talking about... His younger brother, Pedro Martinez. And I think this is going to be a good one. This it's going to be a definitely fantastic one, one. Best pitchers of his era. I can't even, you know. This uh, guy was the man during the era of baseball where pitching did not matter, yet dominated the ever-loving hell out of people. I was going to say, we're going to get into it, but he was one of the best pitchers in the hardest era to be a pitcher. Yeah. that That's the only thing that needs to be said. These guys were pitching with sometimes... Both hands tied behind their backs. Yeah. <laughs> so Pedro Martinez, Pedro Jaime Martinez, same middle name as his brother. I like, I like that. Uh, born October 25th, 1971 in Managuebo, Dominican Republic, a poor area outside of the capital, Santo Domingo. As we talked about in the last episode, his dad was a master of the custodial arts. That's right. Master of the custodial arts. And mother was... Uh, a laundry lady, I guess. Uh, Dad Paulino, though, uh, in addition to being the Thurgood Jenkins of his profession there in the Dominican, was a pitcher. And passed that uh, love of baseball and love of pitching down to his sons. Down to his sons, for sure. And, and we see this with both of his sons becoming major league pitchers. He, he like we talked about in the last episode, had an opportunity to try out for a major league team but couldn't afford it. He could not afford even cleats to play. And much like his sons, they could also not afford a lot of equipment. Um, I know we discussed the sisters' dolls' heads as balls along with oranges and any spherical objects. Um, they would use tree branches for bats. Yep. More money needed to be pumped in, and it eventually was. And these guys came out around at the right time for it to happen. Yes, these these kids in the '80s really kind of got a, and it wasn't a lot of money being pumped in, but it was just like this minimal, yeah. like here you go. It, it's such a when you look at it because of all the talent that came out of that, it was probably the biggest return on investment that we'll see in baseball. They make the league minimum, Chris. That's so true. <laughs> um, one thing we didn't bring up in our last episode, I. Uh, uh, Pedro and Ramon's parents divorced um, when they were 13, yep. or when uh, Pedro was 13. And one decent thing to come out of that, though, for Pedro was that his older brother really became a father figure for him. Um, he ba- he is quoted as saying, what I know of baseball and life off the field, I owe to Ramon. Everything I am, I learned from Ramon. And at because his brother is old, so much older than him, and his brother is this hot shot pitcher. He wants to do exactly what his brother's doing by following his example. And I thought that was pretty cool. And you see that with him because the Dodgers set up this little academy mm-hmm. um, in the Dominican Republic. And you see Pedro carrying bags and being like this um, 
clubhouse kind of guy where it was baseball was life for them. Yeah, you know? and not only that, he's like the little brother in the sandlot. Oh, 100%. Like, he's just following him around, doing exactly what he's doing um, at age 13, despite his size, because, well, he needs to go on that two-of-every-sandwich diet at Subway. He's a lot shorter than Ramon. Yes, he's he not He is not a three. big he's, person. Yes. he Eventually, he grows to about 5'10", 170 pounds soaking wet. I was going to say he's for, short. Which for a pitcher is insane. Short and malnourished. So <laughs> Short, malnourished. It's no way to go through life, son. It's no way to go through life. Uh, when he was 13, despite his size, because, you know, you're hanging out at the facilities, someone's like, how fast can you throw if you're a pitcher? He was throwing at 80 already. So much like his brother, he's got a sizzling fastball. Yes. Um, in 1988, the Dodgers end up signing him at age 16. Same scout that signed Ramon, Ralph Avila. And uh, both of them are in the Dodgers organization. And in 88-89, so at 17, 18 years old in the Dominican Summer League, he goes 12-3 and three in two seasons, and the Dodgers are like, we struck gold twice. But there is a looming thing about him in the Dodger organization that he was too small, he was undersized, and there was this thought of him always being Ramon's younger brother. Yeah. Which I feel like we'll see kind of later, just like it almost is like they overlook the pitching that he's doing. Which kind of sucks because I don't think Pedro had that mentality, like I never got any sense of that, where he minded being his little brother. No. I think he minded them overlooking him yes. for that. Yes. Not that like, well, of course I'm his younger brother. I am. Yes. <laughs> like, it, and just like the impossibility that he could become better, that like all of this, where it was just like, yeah, yeah, but your brother. And it was still like, yeah, he's still a, a yeah, but your brother pitcher. And he's got six inches on you. Whoa. <laughs> six inches and just a scotch more of weight. Whoa. Um, in a 19- little bit more of that girth. A little. Speed is the name of the game, though, when it comes to baseball, Chris. True. And you know what he's got? Speed. He's got speed. Uh, 1990, he goes to Great Falls, um, uh, which is low-A ball. Uh, Goes 8-3 with a 3.62 ERA. Guy Conti over there in Great Falls teaches him the circle changeup, which becomes one of his bread and butter and one of the best in the entire major leagues down the road pitch which is devastating when you throw as hard as Pedro and locate as well as Pedro, unlike his brother. I was going to say, what Pedro really has when we look at the careers at the end is he really has the control that all of his pitches work on the back of every other pitch because he he puts them exactly where he wants them. Oh, and both of these guys' baseball IQ is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, in 1991, though, this we had talked about Ramon in the last episode just shooting up through the organization. Pedro does it just as insanely in 1991 at age 1920. He goes from single A to double A to triple A between age 19. Yes, age 19, he just keeps going up and up and up. Between Bakersfield, San Antonio, and Albuquerque, he goes 18-8 and eight with a 2.28 ERA. And he's striking out at least one batter an inning. His strikeouts to innings ratio is insane. Um, he's the first Dodger pitcher in their farm system to move up three levels since his older brother. Since his older brother. And that year, as we talked about in the Sandy Alomar episode, he's named the Sporting News' Minor League Player of the Year. Well, and we see his brother, who's... This is like the year that his brother becomes like this... 
ace. staple, this ace in the Dodger organization. And a quote that he came out and said was, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But my brother is literally better than me. That was the thing is it wasn't the organiz- It wasn't Ramon saying that, like, I'm the older brother, you know, hold your no, horses. Yeah. It's the organization with were they necessarily warranted criticisms? We're going to find out if they were or not. But his older brother had all the faith in the world in him. Yes. And Which I loved. You know what I mean? Where, like, he would just be like, and I imagine this is what they were thinking. They were like, we're going to be the one-two punch that the Dodgers are just going to rely on for a decade. And, yeah, so he gets his debut in 92. 92. I like that. Right? Um, although he spends most of the year in uh, AAA. I did want to bring out no. 124 strikeouts in 125 and a third innings pitched at age 20. Crazy against grown ass men. His September call up uh, gets some eight innings there at the end of the year, and in '93 he's there the entire season and used. Ex- the Dodgers don't want him on the starting staff though. With Ramon, he's used exclusively out of the bullpen. Yep, as a middle reliever, which or because reliever. he can go longer innings. Yep, he's strong and he's throwing just absolute BBs. Has a terrific season in 65 games, goes 10 and 5, 119 strikeouts and 107 innings pitched, 2.61 ERA. And in one of the games this year, he finishes a game that Ramon starts, which was the first time since the 79 Braves um, with Dick and Mickey Mailer, which yeah. is pretty cool. It's a little spiderweb. Cool. Yeah, that they got to finish, they got to pitch a game together. Uh, and 93, you're thinking, okay, well, he's a middle reliever, but. He should be starting games for the Dodgers. And even their executive vice president, Fred Clare, had said, there's no amount of any compensation which would lead to us trading him, but there's talk within the Dodger organization and there's some fear setting in kind of with manager Tommy Lasorda over Pedro's chances to succeed in Major League Baseball, which were they warranted, Chris? (laughs) course we see him get traded and we don't hear from him ever again well it's such a bummer when this happens to your team we talked about it on the last couple episodes yes it is um (laughs) where organizations just don't have faith in the youth that they bring up they almost have seen them for too long they see too many flaws that other organizations are like "Uh, that's fine we'll take that right now like what what are we talking about um so dodgers really lose face in, in pedro which it happens quick that's the thing that you see like we were saying like at one point they're like we're never going to trade him this is a great one two like literally starting pitcher brother duo and then like six months later tommy lasota is like he's so small what is he five two i don't know <laughs> they like, were afraid if his that his frame would not be able to last just, 35 to 40 starts a season yeah and November 19th, 1993, they trade him to Montreal for second baseman Delano to Shields. And people in Montreal were pissed. Oh, yeah, they were. Because the Shields was a star for them. They had just finished second in the National League East. And the front office basically did this not because they loved Pedro. They did it as a cost-cutting move because... Pedro's not making nearly the money that DeShields is, and he's coming up for arbitration and a new deal. So they trade him. The move is panned. The Dodgers are thinking, oh, we got a great second baseman. We're going to resurge here. What did we give up? A guy who can barely uh, 
you know, lift a freaking 45-pound bar. I was, yeah, I was, I was just going to say, what are we giving up? A guy who couldn't go a full season, who's not going to be pitching complete games. He's got over all, a strikeout an inning. What all, the hell? All of these things that he literally does. There's like his ERA is too high. It's like the the report on him is just so opposite of what he then turns and does. But here's my only thing, because he goes to the Expos. He meets up. With the Alus. Felipe Alou, a former teammate of his father. And he changes his fastball, and I didn't know this, from a yeah. two-seam to a four-seam, and it makes the... It, it, he just puts that much more control on his fastball, where he has the circle changeup. Now he has a four-seam fastball, and he, like we were saying, has all the control that his brother doesn't have. And that four-seam fastball gives him more control. He threw the two-seamer, too, yeah. but the four-seamer was his pitch. Yes. And when you can locate throwing 98 miles an hour, you are going to strike out a hell of a lot of Major League batters. So we see this being a great trade for his development in this getting this new pitch kind of thing. And he enters a veteran starting oh, staff yes. so i mean it, it's the perfect move for him and in the 94 expos as we brought up on this podcast had the best record in baseball this year with pedro you know a huge reason why yeah he came in as a great starter um 11 and 5 a 3.42 era uh 142 strikeouts and also led the league in hit batsmen because if there's one thing pedro did since day one of entering probably ever playing baseball he would Jamie inside. I was going to say he was not afraid, even as small as he was. He was known to be an inside pitcher, and he would also known to hit you on purpose. Um, Senor Plunk, I love that nickname. And this is we see it right away. Uh, Let me see the date real quick. Um, Oh, I don't even know the April thirteenth, ninety four against the Reds, and he has a no hitter going into the seventh. And what does he do? He hits Reggie Sanders, pitching inside, who is a much larger man than Pedro. Everybody's a much larger man. And he went after him. And people were like, okay, you know, sometimes batters and pitchers have kind of a bad rapport, but why would he try to hit him with a no-hitter with one out in the eighth inning? Yes. Um so, yeah. No, he wasn't hit pitching a no-hitter, Chris. He was pitching a perfect game. Oh, that's even better. So he had the stuff, as we'll bring up, even though he didn't get a no-hitter like his brother, he had the stuff to pitch a no-hitter every night if he if everything he broke to. his way. Yes. Yeah. Um, 95, granted, after 94, the Expos sold off all of their roster yep. outside of Pedro, essentially. Um, goes 14-10, and 10, uh, 174 strikeouts. And this year, on June 3rd, 1995, he becomes only the second pitcher in Major League Baseball history to take a perfect game into extra innings. So against the... <laughs> against the it's always against, against the, the Padres. Padres. Uh, perfect game into the 10th where he gives up a hit and they immediately take him out. And Yeah. So, yeah, he bought, they had scored a run in the top of the 10th. So yep. you're thinking, oh, my God, this Here is we it. Go. And then Bip Roberts hits a double. And granted, they win the game. But still, it's, yeah. not, it's not the 10-inning perfect game we all wanted. That would have been... Oh, awesome. that would have been incredible. Like, so 96 uh, goes 13 and 10 with a 3.7 ERA. You'd think that would be bad, but the team only scored 22 runs in his 10 losses. That is ridiculous. Well, they, like you said, they sold off essentially all of their pieces. Pedro's the last player in this last <laughs> exposed team makes his first all-star game this year for yep. montreal which we should bring up and then in 97 oh my god 
this is one of the better pitched seasons of the 1990s by anybody. And it's a really fantastically pitched season on a horrible team. Yeah. He, it, this They're is, dog shit. <laughs> he goes 17 and 8 uh, with a 1 9 ERA, which is crazy. And then he also has 13 complete God. games. And this is why I feel like the games that he was in, they ended up winning because he was just like, nah, I'm going to take it the whole way. You no, want me who to give this to this the team? bullpen? Yeah, who else is on this team? Are like, you going to put the popcorn guy in in a you know 78% empty Olympic stadium? No, thank you. But I do feel like this was his, hey, baseball, I'm about to be a free agent. Yeah, come and get me like that's what i feel like this season was uh so i did want to bring a couple things up career highs and in innings pitch 241.1 yep 305 strikeouts this is his first 300 yeah he has another one yeah uh he's an all-star he wins the cy young for the first time yep first and only expo to do that and the first dominican to win it after he won it he was so sad about Juan Marichal never winning one. He tried to give him the trophy, and Marichal gave it back to him. Yep. Like, no, that, oh, my God. I love it. And because they're the Expos, and they're very cash poor, and he still has another, I believe, year after this of team control. There's no way his stock could be any higher Yes. at this point. Uh, so November 18th, 1997, he's traded to Boston for Carl Pavano and Tony Armas, both pitchers, and signs a six-year, $75 million uh, deal with well, the Bo Sox. Hold on, hold on. So he gets traded there, and he doesn't sign this deal right away. No, uh-uh. And this is the thing I actually like from his Expo days, because he goes to the Expos, 94, they're dominant, they sell off their team. Yeah. His response to Boston once they traded for him was like, that's cool, I'm not signing a contract until you commit with players. Exactly, And yeah. that's, that was the thing I actually really loved, because he has this quote that he was literally like, I could make money anywhere anybody money, could trade for me any yeah. it, like i'm about to go on free agency i can make this anywhere i want to be on a team that could win and they proceed to boston i feel like for the first time in a long time like that what we see they were like we're committed to we're gonna get you some guys winning yeah yes. essentially so in 98 um no ma comes in <laughs> no ma you know like that's this is the building of the ridiculous boston annoying oh god fan yelling out their team names or their player names garcia para gosh 98 he goes 19 and 7 2.89 er era 251 strikeouts second in the cy young voting to a roided up roger clemens yep i mean let, let's be honest when he went to, after he left boston it became disturbing um but this is where we find out what kind of postseason pitcher Pedro is. The kind of, let me put y'all on my back, and we're at least every fourth, third or fourth day we're going to win. Yes. Um, because, yeah. So in the ALDS against Cleveland in game one, he just absolutely dominates them. Unfortunately, they lose the next three games because while they did add more guys, they're not quite, they're not quite there. there we, but, see this, we see this team building. And then in 99, I know I brought up Alomar, probably should have won the MVP this year. A very strong argument should be made for Pedro in 1999 because I know I brought up 97 as dominant. This one is probably even, this is probably better. I was just going to say, better. It, the, the, his era of 97 to 2001 is so crazy dominant. It's mean. See, it's mean. <laughs> and this is why we saw, we said this earlier, this is the height of, 
of steroids in baseball. Allegedly. <laughs> Thank you. And he, even in the, even in the opposing pitchers, and he is allegedly, um, and he is dominant, so, like his. He weighs 165 pounds, soaking wet, and he is just, oh my god! He goes 23 and four, triple crown in pitching, all star. You're giving up a 2.07 ERA and striking out 313 batters when guys are showing up to the plate with Marty Gras heads and raisinets. What the hell? What the hell? It's, it's beautiful. Um, he starts and wins the All-Star game at Fenway, strikes out five of the first six batters. And if you line these guys up, you're like, <laughs> Hall of Famer, All-Star, Hall of Famer. Like It's, it's a great, yeah. So uh, he ended up winning um, uh, the Cy Young, obviously, that year. He won the All-Star game MVP. So our third All-Star game MVP in our Brothers in Baseball uh, podcast Um did he deserve the MVP? Probably, but did you read anything about that vote, the MVP vote? That they didn't give it to him because they felt like he was unprofessional? No, two of the writers didn't vote for him. One picked another pitcher oh, before that's... the season because baseball voters, as we all know, are on the up and up, and both of them felt like, we really shouldn't be voting for pitchers. They only play every fourth day. That's what it was. But when you're that good, yep. oh my God. And then we go to the postseason. Where in game one, he strains his back, and they end up losing to Cleveland. And then they get just shellacked in game two. They're down to game three, which Ramon saves him. Saves him out of the fire, and you're thinking, all right. about that. Pedro is going to be, is he going to be available if they extend this the distance? They go into game five. Boston starters just get shelled. They have, they're, I think, down eight to seven in the top of uh, the fourth inning. They bring Pedro in with the game tied. And in five innings of relief, took 97. I remember watching this game going, what the hell? Well, I it, mean, was that, it was that dominant for a guy with a back injury. And he came in and shut down the Indians. I think they ended up winning 12-8. No runs. No runs. No hits. Three walks. Eight strikeouts. And I thought this was interesting when he went back and looked on it. He was just like, oh, yeah, that was some of the worst pain I was ever in. But... I had to come in because I don't know if you've had back pain. It is so bad. And he was talking about it. It's not like anything else where he was just like, I would get off the mound and I would just like almost have to lay down. You're just like, oh, God, that's God. the worst. And you probably, he probably went back to his Montreal days. Who else are they going to put in? Yes. Like, seriously. Um, they go to the ALCS. Um, one is only start um, of the ALCS. One, the only game for Boston in Ag- that year's ALCS. Against those damn Yankees. Damn Yankees. Um, that was the only game they actually, the Yankees had lost that whole postseason. Yeah. Was the one that they swept started. everybody. They, yeah. So just to, just to put it in perspective, and, and this is the rivalry that we all know that's building. You yeah. Know? Oh, it's definitely bubbling up. I, I because just, it, it dies and then comes back and then, you know. <laughs> I just wanted to say, this is probably the most dominant postseason relief performance the only thing I can think of anything in that stratosphere was when Bumgarner came in in that 2015 World Series. Oh yeah, and he was while he won the game on a bigger stage. It was not as dominant as Pedro. It was not nearly as dominant as that who was playing hurt. So give it up to him there. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, in 2000, so, let's get into his pitching in 2000. Wins a Cy Young again, lowest ERA. 
by so much. What was his ERA, Chris? One seven four. God, just, that's to, filthy. To put it in the perspective again, this is the steroid <laughs> era. The next closest was old Roydy Clemens at three point seven. Oh, so more than twice what he was. It, it the av- the league average was like four point seven or some shit like that. Like it, he had such a low ERA compl- compared to every other pitcher. It was almost like a huge anomaly where you're just like, what's happening with that? Or as a uh, Boston fan would yell, "How do you like them apples, Tommy Lasorda?" And he pitched. He went eighteen and six, so it's not like he wasn't pitching. He pitched almost every single time. He was an all-star. I mean, mind you, he's making all-stars all of these seasons. I did want to bring up, he had the lowest, he allowed the lowest on-base percentage in 100 years at 213. It's crazy. On-base, we're not talking about batting average. We're talking hits, walks, guys getting on, like, oh my God. That's insane. He had 32 strikeouts in two games. He... (laughs) I, I don't know. This is like this is a level of dominance it, it, that for any era is amazing. But the way that he's doing it, and in the AL, pitchers aren't hitting against him outside of that one window you play interleague. Yes, God. So he's, yes, he he literally doesn't have a a ninth out. Um, his whip was unbelievably. Oh God, it, it was like point seven four, and I think in ninety nine to two thousand, it was. His ERA was one nine, and his WHIP was point eight three, which is just I, I can't. It's hard to even like if Boston had just a little bit of a better team, they really could have given the Yankees like runs. In yeah, this, you know. I, unfortunately, I think they missed the postseason in both two thousand and then the following year. And then the, he got injured. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, he has a rotator cuff tear, just like, like his, his brother. brother. But since we're a little more in the future, and he's having some issues with general manager Dan Duquette, who was saying he probably should have been out. Mind you, Dan Duquette's the guy that traded Clemens to Toronto. So, um, but yeah, uh, two thousand two, he's right back in it. Two thousand two wins twenty games again, uh, wins ERA and the strikeout titles, uh, second in the Cy Young that year, and makes the All Star. But this three year window, you're kind of like, damn, Boston, if you just could have put something, you know, a couple more pieces together could have taken away those damn Yankees. Uh, 90, or not 90, 2003. Um, what more can you say? I mean, and they start kind of easing his workload a little bit because they're thinking about some deep postseason runs here. I was just going to say, this is the where they're not putting him in every single start that he could necessarily go for, and this is where they're starting to get the smarter baseball of like yeah yeah regular season's regular season let's make sure everybody's healthy for the postseason mm-hmm. we have to beat the yankees somehow somehow and uh, this curse <laughs> and we see the infamous incident with yeah so a, a fantastic year 2.22 era and 200 strikeouts he has some of the obviously the lowest era in this era but just like it's crazy. In a in a down year, you go fourteen because his winning percentage is what I think is often overlooked. Oh yeah, because of every time you send him out there. Oh my god, this guy's the slump buster. He's the fucking losing streak buster. Yeah, for this sure. guy um, wins uh, one of his starts in the ALC, uh, ALDS against the A's, and then they see those damn Yankees in the ALCS. 
Um, in game three, want to talk about uh, game three? It's a bit of a dust up. It's a little dust up. A little uh, Donnie Brook. A little Donnie Brook. Um, and, and I, I mean, I'm pitching against Roger Clemens. Sure, a lot of people watch this happen. Yeah. Um, kind of hilarious looking back. Two teams, clear benches. Go over what happened. Okay, so in the top of the fourth, Pedro had just given up. Uh, he had let New York take the lead. Yeah. So he throws, I won't say at, Mata got but away a, from he's him. He's an insider. He's an inside guy. He throws at Kareem Garcia, who's like a replacement level Bush League player. He takes offense to it. And in the following inning, Roger Clemens just throws one at Manny Ramirez. Yep. Bench is clear. Pedro's not happy about this. Well, and then someone sees Pedro from the Yankees bench. One of their studs, essentially. A Yankee stud. A Yankee just absolute Greek god of a man. Comes barreling at him. <laughs> former, and, former manager of the Red Sox, oddly enough. Yes. Um, in Pedro's defense, he said, I had no idea who was coming at me. I kind of just turned and saw this elderly man. It's Don Zimmer, who's in his 70s. And he, like, just... <laughs> He just like he doesn't brush him to the side. He, he looks him. like fat Doctor Zoidberg. That's, That's a good one. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's what he looks like. And he slams him to the ground. He like matadors him because like yes. if if Pedro wanted to, no, you're right. Matador is a better. He could have bowed up and possibly killed this man by punching him, but he kind of. Because the Zimmer's kind of low to the ground, he just takes his momentum and just kind of lays him out of the way. But when you're 70 years old and you kind of tumble over like that, as sad as it is, it's pretty funny. At least he didn't break a hip. Yeah, right. Old man River, zip it or I'll break your hip. So um, Pedro gets another start, which is a very important game because it's game seven. Um, They're up 5-2 in the bottom of the eighth. Pedro has... A bit of a bit of trouble. Uh, gives up a run to make it five to three, and their manager uh, Grady Little came out. And you're thinking, okay, they're going to go to the bullpen. We talked about it with his brother. These guys want to finish what they start. Yep. And whether it's Little's fault, whether it's Pedro's fault for pitching, it is what it is. They leave him in, and the Yankees tie the game. I was just going to say, and then they score a run. The the only thing we know is what happened. Yeah, that's the thing is like we can't imagine like we have no idea if they would have taken him out if they if you know we have no Red Sox fan it has to be devastating because that was the same thing they took Clemens out of that game six against the Mets because of a so it's like oh well we'll just it's the George Costanza I'm gonna do the opposite my name is my name is Pedro I'm unemployed and I live with my parents hi (laughs) I'm Aaron Boone Uh, it's just so good because that's, we, yeah. Aaron Boone is a walk-off homer off Tim Wakefield, if you don't know, but <laughs> to win the series. So Red Sox lose 2003 against the Yankees, building up to this 2004 insanity, yes. essentially. Um, Pedro, again, a little bit of lighter of a workload, but still dominant. Wins 16 games, 227 strikeouts in 217 innings pitched. The man is 33 years old mm-hmm. doing this. The only people that have that type of productivity with those stats are just freaks of nature like Randy Johnson. Or like, I don't even think Nolan Ryan has that. I mean, it's like literally him and Randy Johnson, which if you blind both of them next to each other, they'd be like, there's no way both of these guys are that dominant in the same way. But Same body types. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, he wins a start against the Angels uh, in the ALDS. Just a fine postseason pitcher, Martinez. Just he really gamer. is. Like when you look through, because he didn't have great teams, but literally almost every postseason. He at least has one win, if not zero losses. And these losses to the Yankees are just all-star, like, throw all the money in the kitchen sink to get stars on our team. You know what I mean? Um, they go to the ALCS again against the Yankees. Uh, they, he loses game two. Yep. And the Yankees take a 3-0 lead, but the Red Sox come out of it in game four. And then they send Pedro to the hill in game five. And they win in the 14th inning of that game. And then they proceed to win two more, and the only time it's happened in baseball to beat a three to zero deficit. Which that's what makes it series. so oh, special. It's ridiculous. It wouldn't have been as cool if it was against the Mariners. No, that's, well, that's know, exactly. no offense to the Mariners, no, but like everybody believes that, even the Mariners. Like, yeah, yeah. So they win that, that, and then uh, he starts Game Three of the World Series, just seven shutout innings. Yep, dominant. Um, sweep the Cardinals. Finally, champions. He's finally a champion. Uh, I did want to talk about some of his post-game comments, which I thought were pretty, you know, nice. And because after the 2004 season, the Expos moved to Washington. Oh yes. And when you know he's getting drowned in champagne, and they're asking him, you know, what he thinks about it, and he just said he wanted to tell everyone in Montreal like how much he wanted that title to be for them because of the strike-shortened team in 94 and what was taken away. Now they had their whole damn baseball team taken away. Yes, so. because he really was. And this is something that people say about him like post-career. Where off the field, he really was a different person than he was on the field, where we see he was a brushback pitcher, where you see he was, like, he was ready to fight or whatever. Off the field, he was like just kind of like a different – like the – the class and the 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 what you essentially want in a player where you want them to play as hard nose as they can and then off field have this kind of like reverence and, and this like kind of yeah. this like really like uh telling Montreal like ah, I wish and, and we've we brought it up before we feel like that might be the strongest team to ever not win like because uh, they really got well, screwed you know over. I bet you he wouldn't have wanted to have been traded or leave. If they just kept those players, oh, I know, a hundred. Like, I mean, I don't think I think he was like, well, you're obviously going to trade me now, but yes. like, maybe if you had your shit together, maybe why would I ever have to go together. to Boston? Yeah. Um, Freaking Boston! But that was the last game he ever pitched for the Red Sox, Chris. Which I thought was interesting, but you see him signed for the Mets for a pretty good deal. Four and- years, fifty-three mil. When you're what? 34 years old. Yep. Yeah. You so, kind of can't mean, deny that. And the Mets like to spend money. Has a good year, though, for him. 2005, uh, All-Star, 15-8. and eight. Uh, 2006, still makes the All-Star team, but starting to get injuries in his hip and his calf. Is this the weird, so, like, he's wearing the wrong color undershirt? I think so, yeah. And the ump sends him to the locker room to change his undershirt, and he literally slips and hurts his hip. Oh, God. And, like, he, he's talked about it because he was just like, I don't blame him or whatever, you know what I mean? But it, I could never get back to 100% after that, where I, it made me think of his brother, because I did yep. his brother's research first, and then I did Pedro's, where it made me think of his brother, where he starts compensating other stuff, and then other stuff starts to get injured, and then you're just like, oh, damn it. And then he had torn rotator cuff surgery like his brother that October. 
um, in 2006, which sucked because they really would have needed him because I think they had the best record in the National League that yep. year, and they go all the way to the NLCS and lose in seven games, which is just terrible. And he has an 11th, 11-month recovery period. He doesn't come back until September, but I did want to bring up in his first start on September 3rd that year, he's the 15th pitcher to get 3,000 strikeouts. Mind you, he gets 3,000 not like Nolan Ryan. This is within a decade. Less than a decade and a half. That's I, really good. I, I was just going to say, I wish they did this with when they showed records like with strikeouts right next to it, showed how long it, you know, like yeah. literally how many seasons you were like, all right. Like it, yeah. because it really is comparative where you're just like, he had so many strikeouts and his ERA was so low for so long. But he's pitching to not only in the steroid era, you're pitching in five man rotation era where your starts are not A, going as long because of the way the bullpen is used, but B, you're not getting the extra four or five starts a year to put up those stats. Yeah. I mean, I love it. Oh, just insane. Um, this is the point, though, where his fastball kind of starts to lose a bit of its juice. Uh, 2008, a lot more injuries with the Mets. Goes on the uh, 5 and 6 with a 5.61 ERA, and his contract's up. So he's free agent. Free agent. Uh, free agent for a while. I was just going to say for a whole year almost, right? Uh, yeah, six, six months. Yeah. Uh, July 15, 2009, he signs with the Phillies for a million dollars. Coming off their World Series win, where uh, getting uh, blasted on Riot Punch and writing uh, love letters to Chase Utley. So true. Uh, so holy shit, they're stickers, holy Chris. Shit, they're stickers. Does pretty well for him. Goes 5-1 and one, uh, over the nine starts down the stretch. Um, does not pitch in the NLDS against the Rockies. Has a great start against the Dodgers in the NLCS, but ends up getting a no decision as the Phillies lose. And then we get to the World Series, and this is kind of when you know it's the end for him. And it's unfortunately the end for him against a team he probably I was, hated. I was just going to say, this. I feel like this is not the way you want to end your career. Last game up against the Yankees. Lost it, game two already, and gets, you're down yep. three to two in the series. And doesn't have a great outing. How about that? Let's just say he gets shelled and the Yankees win the World Series. Yep. All right. We can, we, we, we can put it like that. Yeah. Goddamn. I mean, that's I mean, the only that's way to say happens. it. Goddamn. Uh, but really, <laughs> it is like the Yankees being like one last being on this Pedro who like we all know that huge rivalry with them. So like it, it for the Yankees, I feel like it was that much better, not just beating the Phillies, but beating a Pedro Martinez Phillies. Yeah. But it's like, when did you, what point of his career did you get him? New York. Yeah. No <laughs> shit. Sir, after he's slipping in the tunnel in the clubhouse. Oh, but no. And obviously that was his last game. Um, did want to bring up some of just, yeah, just, this is ridiculous. 219 and 100 was his career record. Set the record for Dominican-born pitchers for most wins. Brooke Juan Marichal's 687 winning percentage. That's over two-thirds of the time he gets a decision, he wins it. Yep. Oh, my God. Sub-3 ERA in the steroid era. 2.93. 46 complete games. 17 shutouts. 3,154 strikeouts for a guy that wasn't big enough to be a consistent starting pitcher in Major League Baseball. How about that one? I love that. Oh. I love the fact that his brother was right. Yeah, 
that his brother stuck up for him. Yep. Not the Dodgers. Not the Dodge. Three Cy Youngs, eight All-Star games, five ERA titles, three strikeout titles. And in 2015, makes the Baseball Hall of Fame. He made the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, too, oh, yeah. just recently. Yep. Um, we talked about the whip, the walks, and hits per innings pitched. It was the lowest in the live ball era. Not the steroid era. The live, the live ball era. It's crazy. I mean, what the hell, dude? This guy was the most dominating pitcher in Major League Baseball, if you really break it down. Yes. Especially in the, like we were saying, 97 to 2001, where his ERA was so much lower than every other pitcher. It, like, he literally was so dominant, it's hard to even put it in perspective. This because he was really like an outlier. And I mean, this is an era where you have just dogs like Maddox and Smoltz and Glavin and Randy Johnson. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, what the hell, dude? This guy was amazing. Like, he... Had the career many thought his brother would end up having. Exactly. Which kind of said his brother never had that, but you know he had to be super happy for him. I'm sure. Because, oh, yeah. They, yeah, they were super close. And, yeah, like we said, they got to play against each other once on the same team a couple of times. Like, it, it's one of the brothers' careers that I love. You know? Yeah, yeah. Almost Alomar-like. Yes. You know, getting to play together. Now, you know, he's still staying around baseball. If you are familiar, he's on MLB on TBS for all their postseason coverage. And just... Just a dog, man. Just, yeah. Oh, my God. Just so good. Pedro Martinez, everybody.